You are listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we are working to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear good news and as we scatter to share it. Jesus' good news is always for you and for today. Jesus' good news is always for you and for today. So let's start off again at the beginning of the text. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. All right, where is Nazareth? Here's the deal. When we're starting off any gospel text, I'm going to give a lot more historical and geographical little notes. Uh, In Mark's gospel, I did not do that as much because Mark keeps it lightweight and moving quickly. Luke doesn't do that. He gives us lots of details. And so we need to know some specifics about what's going on here. Quite literally, this is where Jesus was raised, right? And it's a very small town. How small was it? Um, You could think of a rugby pitch, put four of those together, and about somewhere around 200 people living inside of that space. And that's how big Nazareth was. It's not much of a mystery about who this Jesus guy is. Everyone would have known him. Everyone would have seen him playing on the streets. Everyone would have seen him assisting his father. Everyone would have seen him doing everything in a town of 200 people, right? We can, uh, I think, does anyone come from a town that size? Not quite that small? Okay, I came from a town quite bigger than that, and I still felt like everyone knew exactly what I was doing at all times. And so you could probably relate to this. And then it says, And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. We've got a couple of things going on here. Already we've heard that Jesus has been traveling with his disciples. So there's a couple of possibilities. One, Jesus is an assigned reader of the word. That is that he's been seen by the priests and by the other teachers as being responsible enough and knowledgeable enough to stand up and read the word on a gathering of God's people during the gathering of God's people. So that's a possibility. It's also a possibility that he is the one that typically does this in his hometown and he happens to be in town this week. We don't know all the reasons, but we do know some other things about the life of the gathering of God's people during this time period that Jesus is reading. So you've noticed probably that on a Sunday, we have a um, some sort of reading from a prophet or from a historical book. We have a psalm reading. We also have a gospel reading. And then we have an epistle reading or a reading from one of the letters in the New Testament. Well, this idea of mixing together all these readings actually comes from the way that God's people used to do it back during this time period. Each and every gathering that they would have, there would be a reading from the prophets, there would be a reading from the law, and then there would be a reading from the other writings, which includes the historical books um, and the Psalms, Proverbs, so on and so forth. And then there could be multiple readings. Similarly, there would be certain psalms that were read during different uh, Sabbath days, okay? And then, uh, sorry, psalms that would be sung, rather, not read. And then there would also be certain prayers that would be offered up each and every week. And then there would be certain confessions 
that were made each and every week. Much like we do the Apostles' Creed or we do the Word Made Flesh, back then they would have done the prayer that was called the Shema. Um, oh my goodness, I'm now blanking. But Deuteronomy chapter 6, you could turn over there and you can read it. And that would be the first thing that would be confessed amongst all the people in the gathering um, during a Sabbath day during this time period. Okay, And so this idea, this lectionary or this liturgy that we have, we actually steal it from way back then. And this is what's happening here. Jesus has been appointed to read and he stands up and he is handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Unfortunately, it wasn't quite as convenient as just flipping open to whichever reading you had. Um, There were typically assigned readings and then you were handed the scroll that that part of the reading was on and you would probably read a lot of text and then you would get to the reading that you're focusing on, and then you would teach or give the sense of what was happening there. What I love here in the text, we see that Jesus finds the place where it's written. Okay, Jesus actually knows where to go in this scroll. Maybe he's read it a hundred times. I don't know the circumstance. Maybe he wasn't supposed to read this one at all today, but we do know that this is what he has chosen to read today. All right, And One more interesting detail before we dig any further. Um, We're going to see here that Jesus has chosen to read a portion of Isaiah where it's using the phrase, me. Now, anyone who's reading from Isaiah, chapter 61, would say the words, me, right? Isaiah is writing in Isaiah, chapter 61, to say that the Lord has appointed him to write these words down. God, the Holy Spirit, is working through him to write these words down. And yet Jesus, in this mind-bending way, steps up to essentially say, this is about me, and the me here is me. Okay? The Word of God that's talking about me, I am the Word of God, me. Okay, I made that really confusing, and it's only going to get more confusing if I keep going. So just hear it with your own ears. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. All right. Already, we've seen Jesus be baptized, right? Um, We've already seen Jesus as a 12-year-old. We skipped over Jesus being tempted in the wilderness because we're going to come back to that in just a couple of weeks, all right? But throughout these first chapters of Luke's gospel, he's consistently reminding us, oh, by the way, the Spirit of God was upon him. Why? Why did we see the Spirit descend like a dove at his baptism? Was it because Jesus didn't have the Spirit yet? No, it's because we needed to understand that the Spirit of God was resting on this one in a very unique way. Similarly, we are being reminded here, um, I don't know why we need to be reminded so many times, because we've grown used to hearing this type of language, but for Luke's readers, for some reason, they needed to be reminded, oh, by the way, the Spirit didn't leave him, he still got the Spirit. And so we're going to actually hear this throughout Luke's gospel. And the Spirit was with him. And the Spirit filled him. So on and so forth. Um, and it's just because Luke's readers needed to understand this, this Jesus here is not separate from the Spirit. We can't divide these two people. Um, God is one. All right. All right. So anyway, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
because He has anointed me. There's our word for today. What does anointed mean? Um, could mean any number of things. Where do we see anointing take place in the most memorable way in the Old Testament? King David being anointed as king, oil being poured on his head. Why? It's because it's in this act that everyone around David is now going to acknowledge him as king. God had already declared him king, and yet it needed to be seen and understood in a physical way. That's what an anointing is. Um, it's not quite like baptism or the Lord's Supper, but it's something close to that, where God is pairing His Word with a physical thing in order to make it real for everyone. And Jesus is reading this and saying, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me. So what does it mean for Him? It means that God has set Him aside for a specific purpose, to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty or free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So this is taken almost directly from Isaiah chapter 61. Let me read Isaiah chapter 61 for us. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and then something different, and the day of vengeance. Uh, the day of vengeance of our God. Wait a second. What's Jesus doing here? Because these two texts aren't exactly the same. Why would Jesus be slightly changing what's going on in the text that we're reading in Luke and the text that we're, we're seeing in Isaiah? In fact, we would have to dig into other languages. I don't want to do that. Um, but here's the deal. He's actually done more changes than what we actually appreciate just at face value. He's taking from Isaiah chapter 45. He's taking from Isaiah chapter 58. He's splicing in some different words and he's leaving out the word of judgment. Why would Jesus do that? Well, there's two reasons why I think Jesus would do that here. One, he hasn't come to preach judgment. What has he come to do? He's come to preach judgment good news. That's the word that we always use, gospel. He's come to gospel people, to give to them good news. Now, judgment does come up in this passage, but Jesus isn't the one speaking the word of judgment. The people that are hearing Jesus are the ones speaking the word of judgment. Um, the word oppressed here. Um, it's a good word, we can keep that word, but I want to maybe add some depth to that word a little bit, because when we think about oppressed, we're maybe thinking simply about like slavery or someone that's being held down. Um, this is someone that needs mercy, okay? Uh, this is someone that needs something from someone else because they can't do it themselves. In fact, each of these things are something that people need that they can't get for themselves. And Jesus is coming. He's saying He's come to proclaim all of this. 
this good news. Now, back in Isaiah chapter 61, God's people were being carried into captivity. And so they're reading Isaiah chapter 61, and they're thinking to themselves, yes, what a great day that will be when we are released from oppression, when we are released from captivity. And now, here are God's people, kind of in the land that He set aside for them. And yet, like we already talked about from Nehemiah and the days of Ezra, yeah, they're back in the land, but everything just is slightly off. Everything's not quite like it should be. And everybody knows it. In fact, Nazareth and all these little towns that Jesus is visiting, um, they're like these little tiny islands in a sea of Gentiles. In a sea of pagans. In a sea of people that don't know Yahweh, don't care to know Yahweh, and think that the Jewish people are rather quite strange and probably need to be brought under some sort of order by the Roman government. And so even still, Jesus' hearers are hearing these words, and it's kind of like what you imagine. Maybe, maybe you are this person. I'm not trying to pick on anyone, but I've watched lots of movies where church is involved, and typically there's always the person over in the corner that's kind of half paying attention, and they're just going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. They're actually asleep, but they know if they make that noise, people won't think that they're asleep. And this is kind of what's happening. Everyone's hearing Jesus' words, and they've heard these words before, and they know what this means is that one day they'll be in the land, properly in charge, everything will be good again. And so everyone's hearing Jesus' words, not thinking twice about it, saying, "Mm mm-hmm, yes, all good, amen, 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 may it be true. In fact, everyone's very pleased by these words at first, right? Sometimes I say things that you probably think, yeah, no, I totally get what Wade's saying. And then you go home and you think about it and you say, wait a second, that can't be true. Wade's making that up. That changes everything. At least I hope that happens to you sometimes. Well, that's exactly what Jesus does next. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the person that was in charge of the scroll. And he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Well, wait a second. Jesus, you're supposed to teach on this. Um, We're waiting for you to give the sense of what's happening here. Why don't you tell us exactly what this means for us right now? And why didn't he read like the whole chapter or more context? Why didn't he give us something more to bite on? And why didn't he give us judgment? So everyone's waiting. They're waiting to see what he's going to do. And what does he say? Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Is it? What changed? Nothing changed. We're all still sitting here. We're still in the sea of Gentiles, a little island of Jewish people. In fact, they've been so influenced by the Gentiles, the other Jewish people wouldn't even look at them and say that they're Jewish people. What's going on? What is Jesus talking about? How can this be good teaching coming from this guy? And yet, verse 22 is a little bit interesting. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Now that sounds very, very positive. But both of the things that are said here have both a negative and positive understanding to them. All right? 
And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Marveled can be understood as one, oh wow, that's really cool. Or wow, how dare he? How dare he say what he's saying right now? And the speaking well of him, it's kind of like, hmm, yes, Jesus, we, we taught him in Sunday school. What a good boy. I'm glad that he stood up and gave that little lesson. Doesn't necessarily mean everyone's super excited about what's happening. In fact, as the text goes on, we're going to see that that changes really quickly. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? Which when we read this passage in Mark's gospel, yes, this is a stab. Is it Joseph's son? It, is that not Joseph's son? Everyone knows the story in his hometown. His mother was a virgin. Joseph took him in as his son. There's always little jabs when it comes to Jesus' parents when we see this in the text. And he said to them, doubtless, he already knows there's doubt. You're going to quote to me, and this is just a phrase that was used regularly, physician, heal yourself. Basically, do something about it. You say it's fulfilled in our hearing, do something about it. You're going to say, physician, heal yourself. What you've heard... What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. All the healings you've been doing, all the cool stuff, why don't you do that here? Why don't you prove it to us? And he said, truly I say to you, the prophet, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. And then he's going to go back to talk about Elijah and Elisha. Um, This is in 1 Kings and 2 Kings. And um, here's the story. There's famine throughout the land. In, in, in the one king's story. And uh, instead of helping all the widows that are a part of God's people, Elijah goes out and helps a Gentile widow. That seems strange, right? And then Elisha, uh, there's all sorts of people with skin diseases, but he chooses Naaman, a Syrian, a real villain. And he goes out and assists Naaman so that Naaman will be healed. Why why is Jesus teaching like this? What's going on now? Because it seemed like he was here to preach good news, and now he's doing something very strange, very different. And you might not know exactly what he's doing, but everyone in the room does. And so what do they do? When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. That is, I am ready to kill you. In fact, they're not only ready, they're like really ready. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Somehow Jesus got away. We don't know if this is by a miracle or if he's just a slippery dude. Um, I'm not sure, okay? (laughs) But he got away from all of them. There was chaos, there was wrath, there was judgment. There was judgment. But our good idea, our big idea for the day is this. Jesus' good news is always for you and for today. Jesus, what he's saying to the Jews that are his, his neighbors, the people that he was raised with, that raised him, he's saying, today, I am setting you free. Today, is the year of the Lord's favor. 
Now, you might hear this and you might want to go back to the year of Jubilee when all the economic woes are made right amongst God's people. Jesus is taking that word, that year of Jubilee, and He's saying, I'm bringing you something bigger than the year of Jubilee. All debts will be paid in this year of Jubilee. Even your debt. Your debt of sin and death and destruction that you have racked up over the years is going to be paid. And Jesus is saying, I'm the one who is going to do it. Because the Spirit of the Lord is upon Him and He is there to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you don't need to turn over there. I'm going to be skipping around for just a minute. The Apostle Paul uses very similar language. In chapter 6, he, he quotes... Um, from Isaiah as well. And he says, in a favorable time, I have listened to you. This favorable time, this year of the Lord's favor, uh, the Apostle Paul is alluding to. And he's saying, this year of the Lord's favor, the definition's changed. The definition's changed because it's in this year of the Lord's favor, back in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, it's for our sake that He made Him, that is, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. In Jesus, that year of favor has been redefined and changed. It's in Jesus that this good news that He says, in today, uh, today, this good news has been fulfilled in your hearing. It's been made true in your hearing. So that all of you that need good news are going to get it. All of you that need to be set free are going to get it. All of you that are blind to what God is doing, you are going to have your sight. And all of you that need mercy. Mercy is something that you don't deserve, that you get as a gift anyway. Jesus is there to give just that. When Jesus reads this, everyone knows in that room that this is going to happen on the day that God's Messiah comes to save His people. And Jesus is saying to them, today, I'm that person. And I'm that person for you. In fact, I'm going to take away God's judgment from this passage. And in me, it's just good news. In me, if you trust and believe, I am the one that has been sent to become sin who knew no sin so that you can become the righteousness of God. I'm here to proclaim the Lord's favor to you. Instead, though, um, what we see is that the day of the vengeance of our God, uh, God's people are going to try to hand that out to Jesus. And it's just a forward looking to what we know is going to happen on another holy day in the future when God's people rally around Jesus 
And don't raise him up as Messiah, but raise him up as one that needs to die and to suffer. And yet Jesus is saying, I'm here to do that for you. I'm here to be that good news for you today. And for each and every one of you, as you hear this text this morning, that good news is proclaimed to you as well. And it's a reminder that any time you hear that good news, that day is today. It's for each and every one of you and everyone that you meet any day. Until next time, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.